So today we're going to look at lesson 13. So look, kind of, we're kind of at a midpoint in the book of Isaiah. And let me explain what I mean by that. If you remember, when we looked at the structure of Isaiah, we basically divided it into three main sections. So the first section we could call the prophecies concerning the Assyrian crisis. And that's what we were focused on up until the point we're at right now. Now that we've come to uh, chapter 36, we're going to be going up to chapter 39. It changes from prophetic material to narrative material or historical material. And it's, it kind of serves as a transition. When we get into chapter 40, through the end of Isaiah, it's now going to switch back to prophetic material that we've entitled the Babylonian crisis. It's going to be material where basically Isaiah is going to be talking about the future beyond his time with regards to the Babylonian crisis that would come later and take away the nation into captivity, but also speaking of the coming Messiah, the suffering Messiah, as well as the millennial kingdom that will happen later on. So our focus today with lesson 13 and next week with lessons 14 is going to be on some historical narrative that kind of shows us the fulfillment of the prophecies that were given uh, with regards to the destruction of the northern kingdom as well as the onslaught that Jerusalem is going to be facing from the Assyrians as well as we're going to see next week the preparation for what's going to be happening with the Babylonian crisis that's to come. So we're going to focus today on Isaiah chapter 36 verse 1 through uh, chapter 37 verse 38. And that's what our focus is going to be. So again, because of the amount of material that we're going to be covering, we're not going to be reading these verses, but I just want to give you an overview of the historical material, make some comment as we go along so that you understand what's going on here. Okay? So let's first of all, let's talk about that Jerusalem is threatened. And we're going to see that in chapter 36, verse 1, through chapter 37, verse 4. So the first thing I want you to recognize is this. King Zennacherib of Assyria came against all the fortified cities and took them. All right, now who's King Zennacherib? Well, he is the ruler of the Assyrian Empire. Now, after he had defeated the northern kingdom, that is the ten tribes in the north, also known as Samaria, and carried them away into exile, he turns his attention now to conquering the southern kingdom. He's on a move. He's trying to conquer as much territory as possible. So when he comes against the southern kingdom, I want you to understand it's a little bit different than what we think of, like with our, the way we are here in the U.S., with the way our cities and so forth are structured. Every city was in itself a fortress. So there was Jerusalem where the king was. It's the main fortress. But then all the other cities of the southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin would themselves be fortified cities. And they would be strengthened with troops and siege works and so forth. But Zennacherib, when he comes down, 
he takes those cities. So basically, he takes all of the cities except for Jerusalem. So what does he do? He surrounded Jerusalem with his armies. So having taken everything else that's there, basically the refugees that would be fleeing from the armies of the Assyrians, they would go into Jerusalem. Here comes the armies of Sennacherib, and they basically surround, they besiege Jerusalem. They surround it. Now, here's what he does. So he's got the city surrounded. Sennacherib decides to send a messenger. So he sent a, his commander to deliver a message to the city. So here's what he does. He's, he's going to send basically the terms of what he wants, his terms of surrender. He's basically going to tell them, hey, this is what you need to do. And so he sends a messenger to the city. Now, the commander obviously can speak both the Assyrian language or Aramaic as well as a common trade language. He can also speak Hebrew as well. We're going to see that in the passage here in a few moments. The commander asks the Jews who they were waiting on to deliver them. So he's kind of mocking them. Who are you waiting on to deliver you? Who are you trusting in? Okay, so the commander is asking that. He mocks their trust in Egypt. Now, remember back in the prophecy? In the prophecy of Isaiah, before we got to this point, he was condemning them for trusting in the Egyptians rather than looking to the Lord. Basically saying to them that the Egyptians were not going to be of any use. Well, here comes the Assyrians. The Assyrians are basically mocking the Jews that are in Jerusalem and, and basically saying, hey, who are you trusting in? Egypt? You know, Egypt? He mocks their trust in the Lord since they have torn down the idolatrous high places. All right, so let me explain to you what's going on here. If you remember our study in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, when Hezekiah, who is the king at this point, becomes king over the southern kingdom, over Judah and Benjamin, he proceeds to initiate some reforms, and he goes around and tears down all the high places. Remember, those were the places that the Jews were going to and making sacrifices to the host of heaven, to all of these foreign gods and so forth, under the sacred groves. He tore down all of these places and demanded that people come and worship the Lord at the temple. Well, obviously, this news has gotten to the Assyrian Empire. But they don't understand what's going on. They don't understand that God demanded worship in one place, in the temple, and only one person, one God, was to be worshipped. That was Yahweh. All the other gods were false. The Assyrians were polytheistic, and that is they believed in many gods. So when they hear that the Jews have torn down all of these high places to these other gods, and they're now worshiping one God, they're basically thinking, how, how are you, how's that going to help you? You're not worshiping these other gods. You're, you, you shouldn't trust the Lord since you tore down the idolatrous high places. So he offers them, he kind of is mocking them, so he offers them horses 
if they have enough men to ride them. It's kind of like, hey, I'll even give you some cavalry horses if you could find enough guys to ride on them. Meaning, he's talking about how weak they are. He then goes on and says, and it's kind of a half-truth. Remember, during the prophecy, the Lord said he was sending the Assyrians, okay? But here we are in the historical narrative, and, and this commander is mocking the Jews who are in Jerusalem. He stated that God himself had commanded the Assyrians to destroy them. Now, he's doing it not because he believes it, He's doing it as a way to demoralize the Jews. But the reality is, as we know from Isaiah's prophecy earlier, that God had said that he would bring this force against them to punish them. So there is truth in what he's saying, but not in a way that the commander thinks. So here's what happens. He's speaking in Hebrew, and that's bothering the Jewish leaders. So the Jewish leaders asked the commander to speak in Aramaic, not in Hebrew. He didn't, they didn't want the common people to hear what was going on or what was being said. He wanted, they wanted this commander to speak in Aramaic, which is the trade language. Speak in the trade language and, and we will understand what's going on, not the people. Well, the commander proclaimed that he was sent to speak to all. Meaning, look, I'm not here just to talk to you guys. I'm here to say what I've got to say to everyone here. And because I'm speaking to everyone, the impact is the impact that it's going to be. Basically, it's a propaganda campaign. He's trying to demoralize the people on the inside by letting them know exactly what's happening. He's kind of going beyond the Jewish leadership and talking to all of the Jews to help them to understand what's happening here. He tells them not to let Hezekiah deceive them concerning deliverance. So he's obviously saying, hey, don't listen to your king. He's going to tell you whatever God's going to deliver him or the Egyptians are going to deliver. Don't you listen to him because deliverance isn't coming. Okay? Deliverance isn't going to be happening. And that's the point that the commander, who was this Assyrian commander who was sent to speak, is trying to, he's trying to demoralize them by saying, Hezekiah can't do anything. And so then here comes the point that he's making. He states that Jerusalem will fall into the hands of Assyria. He's boasting. He's letting them know, hey, look, you guys can hang on for whatever time, but the reality is reality's coming, you're going to fall into my hands, into the hands of my king. You're going to fall into the hands of the Assyrians. There's no doubt about that. And he calls them, hey, here's what he does. He says, you don't have to go through that brutality. Make peace with Assyria. Basically surrender, which that's not a good thing either. So basically surrender yourselves, which would mean the Jewish leaders would all be killed People would be brought into sub subjection and then obviously taken away in exile, but they would be alive. and They would not have to go through the siege that was going to happen. But here's where the leader, at the bidding of his king, 
crosses the line. And here's what he does. He mocks the deliverance of God by pointing to the weakness of other gods. So if you look at the passage, he's going to say, all these other places that we've conquered, their gods couldn't do anything. Our God was bigger and better, and so it is. Your God, Yahweh, is not going to be able to do anything because the other gods couldn't do anything. So he's equating Yahweh, the Most High God, with the gods of these other nations, who, by the way, are nothing, in saying that he can't do anything because those other gods are not doing anything. Basically, folks, what's he doing here? He's blaspheming God. He's mocking God. That's where he crosses the line. He's crossing the line by mocking the God of Israel. So the people remained silent and did not answer the commander. They were basically told, don't say anything to him. So here he is, he's spouting off, doing his boastful thing, mocking God, mocking Hezekiah, trying to demoralize them, but the people are silent. They have been commanded by the king to remain silent, and they obeyed. They didn't say anything. So here's what happens. The Jewish leaders reported the commander's words to Hezekiah. So obviously Hezekiah wasn't on the wall receiving this message, but the leaders who were there receiving the message then go back to Hezekiah the king, and report to him all that was being said. Now I want you to notice, if you read the passage, how Hezekiah responds. And this is typical of their culture, as well as the typical response of those who fear God. And as they go to the Lord with regards to this. So, covered in sackcloth and ashes, Hezekiah went to the temple. Now, what did he do? He set aside his royal robes. He put on sackcloth. What, what is that? That's basically like burlap. And he put ashes on himself. And in humility, he goes to the temple to meet with the Lord. So he's humbling himself. And it's also a sign of great distress. It's also a sign of desperation on his part before he goes to the Lord. So Hezekiah sent word to Isaiah to pray for the remnant, trusting that God has heard. So here's what he does. He sends word to the prophet Isaiah, says, hey, pray for us. Now the remnant here is not talking about a godly remnant. He's talking about the remnant who are left in Jerusalem, the people who are left, the Jews who are left in this besieged city who are facing death if the Assyrians come in. He's basically saying, look, I need you to pray for us. Pray for the remnant because I know that God, I'm trusting that God has heard what's going on, that he has heard us and that he will hear us when we pray. So Isaiah tells the king's officials the response of the Lord to Hezekiah's petition. So here's what Isaiah says. Look, go back to your king. And say, this is the word of the Lord. He has heard you. Okay? He's heard your petition. He knows what's going on. God is responding. And that's what we see now in 
chapter 37, verses 5 and following here. We see the reality of God's response. And so what do we see here? The Lord stated that they should not be afraid of what they heard as God was blasphemed. Okay, it's become a personal matter with the Lord. It's not just that God wants to protect his people, the remnant. God now is personally offended at the blasphemy of the Assyrians. And so Hezekiah is told through the prophet, look, don't be afraid. I've been blasphemed. I've been offended. The Lord will send a spirit or angel to the Assyrian king. So basically he's saying here, look, I'm already at work and there is something spiritual happening and I am sending an angel, which is a messenger, a heavenly messenger, or a spirit to the Assyrian king. He will hear of a rumor and be moved to return to Assyria. So he's basically saying to the king, look, don't worry about this. This guy has blasphemed me. And I've already set, set in motion through my heavenly messenger that he's going to hear a rumor of something and that's going to move him to leave being outside of Jerusalem with his armies. They're going to leave and head towards back to where they came from because he heard a rumor. He heard a rumor of something. And here's what he says. The Lord will cause the Assyrian king to die in his own land. So Isaiah is saying, look, you don't need to worry about Sennacherib. When he goes back to his own land, he's going to die there. And it's all because he chose to blaspheme the God of Israel, Yahweh. Now, here's what happens. So when you get to chapter 37, verses 8 through 38, the fulfillment of the prophecy happens here that Isaiah gave to Hezekiah. So what you read here is, first of all, that Zennacherib hears that the king of Cush is coming to aid Jerusalem. Now you're saying, Cush, who is Cush? Well, folks, that would be today modern-day Ethiopia as well as the Sudan. That's where the people of Cush lived. They were a mighty army as well. So there was Egypt, Egypt to the north, but the Ethiopians to the south. And so the Ethiopians, quote, there's a rumor that the Ethiopians are coming to meet the Assyrians in battle and coming to the aid of Jerusalem. It was just a rumor. There's no proof that it was happening. So he sends a message now. So he doesn't want to hang around for the big fight with Cush. So he sends a message to Hezekiah not to trust in the Lord for deliverance. So here's what he's going to do. He's going to hightail it out of there, obviously. But he wants to make sure that Hezekiah doesn't believe that it's God. So he's saying, look, don't trust that this is deliverance from the Lord. Okay? Don't trust the Lord for deliverance. I, I've just got to head out for a moment. I'll be back. Okay? I'll be back. So he states that his armies will destroy Jerusalem as they have destroyed other kingdoms. 
So he's saying, look, I'll be back, and when I come back, we're going to wipe this place out just like we've wiped everyone else out. And by the way, folks, they did wipe everyone else out. Hezekiah took the message and laid it out before the Lord in prayer. So one of, this is one of the well, most well-known passages from Isaiah, is that here's this problem, this message from the king. He's mocking God and everything, and he goes before the Lord in prayer, and he kind of lays the message out and says, here, God, is the situation. How many times have you done that? I know I've done that, where, where I'm facing some sort of situation, and, and, and I go before the Lord, and I just lay it out to him and say, Lord, here, here's the situation. I'm desperate. I don't know what I need to do in this situation, but everything is coming against me. And, and that's what Hezekiah is doing here. He's laying it out before the Lord. And so here's what he does. He, Hezekiah calls on the Lord to consider the boastful words of Zennacherib. He's saying, Lord, did you hear this guy? Did you hear his boasts and what he's saying about your people and the armies of the Lord and what he said about you? He's kind of reminding the Lord about what this guy has done, which, by the way, the Lord already knows. So the king asked the Lord to deliver Jerusalem from the hand of Zennacherib. So again, he's asking for the Lord to do something, to bring deliverance. He's asking a prayer. He's trusting not in Cush. He's not trusting in Egypt. He's trusting in the Lord to deliver. So again, Isaiah brings another message. So Isaiah brings a message from the Lord that the Assyrians will be defeated. So the Lord is saying here, tells the prophet, go bring this message and say, don't worry about it. These guys are done. They're finished. They're going to be defeated. So the Assyrians will be forced to flee from Jerusalem. So the Assyrians will be forced to move and leave Jerusalem and return back to their land. And the Lord assured Hezekiah that a remnant will remain, meaning those folks who are left will be survivors. They will be the remnant. They will be what's left after this mighty onslaught of Assyria. And here's what he says. The king of Assyria will not set foot in Jerusalem or build a siege ramp against it. So he's saying he's not coming in here. He's not even going to build a siege ramp to attempt to get in here. Man, what a promise. Don't even worry about this. This guy's not coming in here. He's not even going to attempt it. He's going to be defeated. And here's what he says. The Lord himself will defend the city. This is the message to Hezekiah. The Lord, Yahweh himself, the Most High God, will defend the city. Now, here's what the text then tells us is that the angel of the Lord killed the camp of the Assyrians. So that night, the angel of the Lord goes into the camp and lays waste to the camp and kills the Assyrians. And because of that, Zennacherib returned to his home in Nineveh. So it's not just that he heard a rumor of Cush 
But the reality is God himself showed up and wiped out the Assyrians. And because of that brutality of the slaughter that took place, Zanacharib, with whatever's left of his army, returns in defeat back to Nineveh. And the text tells us that. But here, remember the prophecy said that basically the king would die when he returned in his own land? Well, that's exactly what happened. The narrative tells us that when Zanacharib is back in his own land, he was murdered by two of his own sons. He was killed by his own sons. And that was really the last time that Zanacharib or the Assyrians would try to take Jerusalem. It's interesting, we know from archaeology that they, from the ruins of Assyria, there is some type of monument during the time of Zanacharib, and he shows Hezekiah as a bird in a cage, and he refers to Jerusalem as not being defeated, but being caged, contained. Well, yes, you kind of have to say that, but the reality was he couldn't contain them. He couldn't even hold on to them because God came into their midst and destroyed them, and they went on. Okay, so that kind of brings us to the end of our time here. So let me just kind of expand a little bit about what we've been talking about with regards to the other 36 chapters. So if you remember the prophecy, God has been very clear in the prophecy to, to tell his people, I'm bringing judgment. You're not where you should be. You're worshiping all these other gods. You're doing everything. You're trusting in Egypt. You're trusting in all of that. And God has made it very clear to them, I'm bringing somebody to punish you. I'm bringing somebody to turn you back to me because Egypt's not going to be there. Cush is not even going to be there. You are so dependent on me, you need to turn back to me. But look, remember the promise was that this force that would come would not take Jerusalem and that God would defeat him. And here's what we have in the historical record. Here this guy shows up. The commander of these armies of Assyria, sent by the king, gives this boastful message that what the Assyrians are going to do mocks God in the meantime, and God becomes offended. Why? Because his glory has been blasphemed who he is among all the other gods who are no gods at all has been blasphemed and God will protect himself God will protect his glory and his honor and so with that this tool that he was using to punish them now becomes the object of God's own wrath and this king who basically was sent there by God to punish them is now going to be punished himself so what's the lesson for you and I in this? I think it's very important that we realize that, first of all, there is accountability in our lives. God does bring accountability towards us with regards to the things that we do. And when we are disobedient, there are consequences. But yet, here's the reality. We see this with Israel. We even see that with our own lives. 
Because we are the children of God, yes, he does bring punishment, and yes, we do face the consequences of our sins, but we never cease to be his children. And because of that, he will always watch over us. And he will always preserve us in whatever form. And then we also see the faith of Hezekiah. Because when he faced the onslaught, he didn't look to sending out, is there a Cush coming or not? Maybe there's somebody else. Maybe the Babylonians or so forth, whatever. He looked to the Lord. And he laid out his problems before the Lord and asked the Lord to undertake. And he trusted in the Lord. And guess what? The Lord delivered. And so we see that point here. And it kind of brings a close to that first section that we saw, which is the Assyrian crisis. But what we're going to see next week as we get into the lesson, as we get into chapter 39, is we're going to see now that there is another crisis coming. And it's the Babylonian crisis. And the reality is, is that with the historical narrative, you're going to see that Judah, the southern kingdom, isn't ready for this crisis. In fact, we're going to see something disturbing about Hezekiah and the reality of it. And it prepares us for the prophecy that's going to come after with what will happen to the Jewish people, but it also shares with us the promise of the Messiah who would come, who we've benefited from because we believe in his sacrifice for us, but also the promise of the coming king. So we'll look at that next week.